earned it. Uh, but this morning's passage, I think, is quite appropriate um, as we celebrate the payoff of this, this mortgage today and we, we look ahead to what God is going to do next in our church. And the reason that I say that is, is today's passage is directly focused on the leadership of God's people. Peter's going to take some time to, uh, at the end of this letter to talk about eldership of all things. And um, just a show of hands, if you have been an elder, if you are an elder, or if you want to be an elder, will you just raise your hand for a minute? We can look around the room. See, and so this is an interesting passage, right? Because um, I'm going to preach to about uh, 5% of us. And yet, I think as we read through this lesson, uh, we should really look at it from two angles. Because this is, this is a scripture that's edifying, not just for the eldership of the church, but for all of us. And first, this is what I want us to do. I want you to look at God's design for eldership in his church. And we're going to talk about God's plan and purpose through God-given leaders that God has brought to us. But second, I want us to then glean from this same word what this might mean in our own leadership of others in our own capacities. Okay, so turn with me. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 this morning as we continue in this series uh, of exiles. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Let's near now God's word. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Years ago, um, I spent some time in a leadership cohort with Fuller Seminary. I've always been a nerd when it comes to understanding leadership and what it means for the church. And as a part of our studies, we, we got to meet with several CEOs uh, of these, these high-torque high companies to understand how their faith in Christ influenced their leadership at work. We met with the coaches of the Houston Texans, and they, they talked about character development and living the gospel into their coaching we met with presidents of some of the largest oil industry, uh, in companies in the world, and they talked with us about how their, their work overseas often turned into mission work and witnessing for Jesus. But our last meeting was with this man named Mark Wallace. And Mark is the CEO of Texas Children's Hospital with, with over 10,000 employees nationwide. And I'll never forget, what Mark walked up into the podium to give this presentation, and as he stepped into it, he said into the mic something that framed the rest of our time together. And it stuck with me. He said, leadership influences the outcome not some of the time, but all of the time. Leadership influences the outcome not some of the time, but all of the time. Do you agree? You know, if you turn to the pages of God's word, time and time again, we find these examples over and over again of leaders who God used to bring about his plan and his purposes for God's people. And you think about all the influential men and women who have gone before us in God's word. We could spend all week on this topic. Abraham, Moses, Saul, David, Solomon, Esther, Deborah, Peter, Paul, Timothy. And as you consider those leaders, like every one of them either led God's people towards the Lord, spurred them on in their faith, 
or they ended up serving themselves. And if we had the time to look at each one of those this morning, we'd probably find this isn't so much black and white, but more of a mixed bag, right? All of us bring our strengths and our weaknesses, our successes and our failures, the dance of leadership. But I think, um, I think God's word also gives us this, this word of caution for what happens when leadership goes awry. Think of names like King Ahab. One of the most corrupt kings in all of Israel, he married this pagan woman named Jezebel, and and through her influence, he single-handedly led a nation, an entire nation of Israel, into idol worship. Or think about Rehoboam, right, the son of Solomon, refused to listen to the counsel of his elders, and in his arrogance, he led with such a tyrannical hand, he caused the split of the northern and southern tribes of Israel. King Manasseh sacrificed his own children to idols. He practiced sorcery and witchcraft, and yet when God got a hold of him and his repentance, he launched a spiritual reformation of God's people. Now take all that, sort of that scattershot, and let's just hold on to that together because here's Peter. He's written this letter, remember, about standing firm in your faith. We've now studied chapters of Peter's exhortation to these exiles who were faced with this very real opposition and persecution for what they believe. And for some reason, he takes the last pen of this letter, the last words, and he devotes his teaching solely to the shepherds of God's flock. Why is that? Here's a thought. Maybe Mark's quote rings true. Leadership influences the outcome not some of the time, but all of the time. And in Peter's case, he's not just talking about any leader, right? He's talking about the office of eldership. Look again with me at verse 1. He says, So I exhort the leaders, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and the witness of sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock. Leaders lead. You know, the Greek word for elder is presbyteroi. It's where we get the word Presbyterian. And when we say that word that no one can spell, What we really mean is we're an elder-led church. We're led by the plurality of those whom God has called. And you can see this from the very beginning of God's covenant with Abraham. You, You find sort of this establishment of leaders who are called to both oversee and care for God's flock on behalf of the Lord. Because the fact is, life requires leadership. In fact, look at this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me all the way back to Numbers 11. Otherwise, we'll have this on the screens and... Remember, Israel is in the wilderness. Among God's people, there erupts this rampant complaint about how terrible the food has become. And you know when the food's bad, the morale is at an all-time low. They've been waking up to this substance called manna, right? Which literally translated means, what is it? And as this leader, Moses is suddenly overwhelmed at this coming rebellion. Look at how this plays out in verse 4. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost to us. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and it looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill and crushed it as mortar. They cooked it in a pot and made it into loaves. And it tasted something like olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. So Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. 
The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you would put this burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive of these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Think about that. You're talking to Almighty God, and you've just asked for your own demise. But if I found favor in your eyes and do not let me be faced by my own ruin. So the Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of the meeting that they would stand there before you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the Holy Spirit that is on you and I'll put it on them. They will share the burden of the people so that you will not do it alone. See, God's people have always been led by established leaders in his church. And now here's Peter, this time talking about the office of elder, and he says, I exhort you, shepherd the flock. Now we should stop right there, and we should think very carefully about what Peter just said. This is not flippant advice. This is not something trite to, to sort of set aside. This is a weighty divine calling. Think about this. The chief shepherd... Jesus Christ has so structured his church that for the care and protection and sanctification of his people, he installed under shepherds, elders to lead his flock. Let me invite you just to consider for a minute your most prized possession. Better yet, in fact, let's do this. Consider the person in your life who is most prescient to you. Who is it in your life that you hold most dear? You don't have to play favorites. Maybe it's all three of your kids. Let me ask you, when you think about that person, what would it require for you to trust someone else to truly care for them in your stay? As you know, our brother Eric Wandishan, one of the elders of this church, went in for heart surgery this week. He had a successful bypass, triple bypass. Um, Praise God for that. I believe he's back home as of today. The next morning as they wheeled him out of the ICU, or out of the the operating uh, table into ICU post-surgery, The nurses told the family, you can't be here. Visiting hours are over. So think about that. Val, the spouse of Eric, the one who's cared for him for decades, now leaves the room and has to put her care into this, her love into this, this, this new person's hand, this nurse who she's never met before. Can you imagine? Now just take that picture and and carry it out into infinity. This is God's love for his church. And here's how he plays this. Look at this in Hebrews 13. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Well, give an account for what? Give an account for how you cared for my sheep. See, when an elder is called by the Lord to lead his church, this isn't just leadership. You now care for the bride of Jesus Christ. There are literally tens of thousands of books on effective leadership today. You know, millions of dollars spent on leadership coaches and course studies and podcasts. Just think about your favorite leadership book if you've read them. Here's some classics. Some of my favorites, maybe they'll ring a bell. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody read that one? Or how about How to Win Friends and Influence People? That's the classic, Carnegie. 
Leaders eat last, Simon Sinek, that's probably my favorite. Start with why, the energy bus. But really, if you wanna see God's design for, for leadership, if you wanna see the best design ever in the, in the world for leadership, you don't need to look any further than the scriptures that talk about an elder caring for his most prized possession, right? Because if Jesus, the, the chief shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep, if that's the love he has for his church, then the best design for leadership has got to be the design he's already laid out for those now entrusted to their care. So here's what I thought we'd do. I thought we'd just spend the remainder of our time this morning looking at three exhortations that Peter offers in what godly leadership and specifically eldership should look like for his flock. And the first one is this, elders willingly serve. Elders willingly serve. Look again at verse two. Peter says, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. I'm sure many of us read about the Ocean Gate submarine earlier this week with such a tragic ending in such a tragic place. Um, but as I was reading the headlines, I, I was reminded of a different story with a different outcome about a man named Chris Lemons back in 2012. Chris was a deep sea diver who was uh, hired to work on an oil and gas well in the, the North Sea. And somewhere in this dive, Chris lost his umbilical cord that keeps him tethered to the ship. And there's a reason they call it an umbilical cord. And that cord was his lifeline provided his suit with warm water and also oxygen. And without it, he didn't have days, he had hours. In the midst of this darkness, Chris realized he was in huge trouble and so he just laid down on the bottom of this rig trying to conserve any oxygen that he had. And just as he began to lose consciousness, literally in the final hour, his rescue team found him, pulled him from the pitch black, gave him CPR and saved his life. In one of the interviews that he gave with Tears streaming down, he said, how could I ever repay that team? His life would never be the same. See, and I find that story to be like the perfect picture of the Christian. R.C. Sproul once said, when you, when you are named dead in your sins by God's word, it is that kind of an image. You are at the bottom of the ocean, helpless, dead. There is nothing you can do to save your soul. Only God's grace in Christ and the, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit changing your heart will save you. And Peter says, if that was you and I, if we were once lost in our sin, dead in our trespasses, but now made alive, how could you ever lead out of obligation or mere compulsion? No, he says, if God calls you, if you've been saved by Jesus, the only logical response is with a willing heart. And look at how he sets us up in verse one. He says, I witnessed Christ's sufferings, but I will partake in the glory to be revealed. I was once dead in my sins, crucified. I now stand saved by the cross awaiting to partake in his final glory. And it's because of that then that Peter says, we should lead the flock, not begrudgingly, but joyfully, willingly. I think this principle plays out all over the place for the Christ follower, right? When, when you think about your leadership, whatever it is, as a, a parent or a volunteer, you, maybe you're a CEO, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, a boss. You know, we all have our days, but I think we should stop and look at the pattern of our lives and we should ask, where on this spectrum of attitude would I put my leadership? Begrudgingly or willingly? When it comes to eldership, Peter says we should shepherd the flock willingly, not out of compulsion, because the one who saved us has called us to it. But if that's true, 
And second, we get to the second point, which is elders selflessly lead. Look at this in verse two. He says, shepherd the flock, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. January 5th, 2009, you'll remember, Captain Soli made a last-minute emergency landing in the New York Harbor after his plane struck a flock of geese. And the FFA's regulation proved not only did Soli's flight maneuver save his people, but then he put his own life at risk over and over again to save those who were in his care. For instance, after everyone had deplaned and gotten onto rescue boats, Soli went back through his plane multiple times to make sure no one was left. He's been hailed as a hero. Conversely, on January 13, 2012, nearly three years later, almost to the day, the cruise ship Costa Concordia crashed into the rocks just off the coast of Italy. And you might remember that accident happened because Captain Francisco was trying to impress a visiting woman on board with some irresponsible maneuvers. Francisco knew he had messed up, but instead of assisting in the rescue, he boarded the first lifeboat he could, leaving all of those in his care behind. Which man was the selfless leader and which one led for selfish, shameful gain? See, Peter writes, shepherd the flock that is among you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And I love how Peter draws this out. He says, your focus should be on those among you. Did you see that? Those among you. I get a picture of a shepherd standing in the midst of a muddy sheep pen just crowded by their flock. The office of eldership is not an office for status, but service. Again, just consider your own leadership. You know, I, I feel like we all have this, this temptation to, to, to slip into our pride and our shameful gain all the time. In fact, this is a choose-your-own-adventure sermon. You can pick your politician this morning. Just think about it. Where do you see leadership in this kind of corruption? Here's how Jesus saw this. Look at this in Matthew 20. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you will first be your servant. You know, when you think about how Jesus led his people, Jesus washed feet, Jesus ate with deplorables. So again, why for those who have now been charged in, in his stay to lead his people, would he have any other expectations? Look at this in John 13, 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right for I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. You want to be a great leader. It's found right here in this passage. Serve willingly, serve selflessly, and lead like Christ. That really brings me to my last point. Elders lead by example. Again, verse 3. Peter says, eldership is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Last week, I was feeding the Cook family betta fish, who's made a cameo in this pulpit before. And for some reason, I got lost in thought as I was watching this little guy swim around. And I got to thinking, what must it be like to be a fish in a fishbowl? But more importantly, what must it be like to be a fish in a fishbowl in the Cook household? You know, you think about it. It's interesting, I can see all that that fish does in a day, but he too gets a front row seat at the party in my house. And you probably heard that leadership is a lot like that. If you are a leader, people see you, even when you don't realize it. So of course, Peter would say, it, it's your example that counts. 
Again, no elder is perfect. No one aside from Christ has ever been. No one gets it right all the time. But it seems to me um, our actions speak just as loud, if not louder, than our words, particularly when others are watching. And so whether you're an elder and, and you've led in your own capacity or, or you're a follower of Christ and you see leadership in your life, we should all remember we live in a fishbowl. Parents, hear me. How you treat your spouse in front of your kids, they will watch your example. How you treat that waiter on Sunday afternoon, they will watch the way that you treat them. How we respond to others in traffic, how we react in public to conflict, it's all speaking loud, words louder than all speaking words louder than we have. But Peter says, especially for those under shepherds, especially for those elders, we are called to emulate Christ, to set an example for the flock. Elders lead willingly. Elders serve selflessly. They live their lives as examples for the Lord. And here's why. Peter says, the chief shepherd is coming back to take his flock. We're just stewarding it. See, leadership influences the outcome not some of the time, but all of the time. And nowhere does that statement ring more loud than in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Just think about it, right? Those three things are perfect examples and explanation of who Jesus is. It was Jesus who came to live among the flock. It was Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself to the point of being a servant. It was Jesus who humbled himself to the point of death, not begrudgingly, but willingly for those he led. It was Jesus who led by example the entire time. So our leadership, especially our eldership, must reflect that light. As I think about where we've come as a church, the highs and lows, the ups and downs, some of the most powerful moments I have seen are when our leaders, whether it is staff, elders, deacons, or a volunteer on Sunday morning, live faithfully into that calling. So elders, I want to speak this really clearly before the witness of our church. Whether you're inactive or an active elder, whether you're called or you're soon to be called and you don't even know it yet, hear the words again. As a fellow elder, I exhort you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but by being an example of the flock that is among you. And when the chief shepherd appears, we will all receive the unfading crown of his glory. Let's ask God to help us lead well as we follow him. Will you pray with me? God, we, uh, we confess there are many times where we want to try to quite literally lead in our own strength. And yet you have already given us the, the, the perfect example of, of what leadership looks like. And so God, when we think about the office of elder, which is so important and vital, God, we with humble hearts look to the example of Jesus Christ who is Lord of his flock. God, we confess this is is not our people who we lead, but they are yours. And so God, we just make that our prayer this morning as, as Peter lays it out, Lord, that you would help us to lead willingly in the places where you would have us. God, that we would, with selfless hearts, show up to the dance. 
Lord, that others would see the example of Jesus Christ in us as we look to him. Lord, would you help us to do that well this week? In Jesus' name, all God's people said.